0: Not only do we have a great episode of Silicon Valley to talk about, we're excited to be joined by Suzanne Crier, the one and only Lori Bream. So uh, stay tuned or you might get stuck eating the wheat thin. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. That's right. Welcome to the Silicon Valley After Show. I'm Christian Black at Christian DMZ joined as always at the far end of the desk by Phil Svitek say hello to the people Phil
1: a welcome. Listen, I would have not known that this is the Spanish version of "Walking in Sunshine" had it not been for the uh, the subtitles.
0: Yeah, because you just you hear that tune and you're like, "Well, I don't know. I don't even recognize this at all." And uh, someone put this on YouTube basically right after the episode aired because I guess this isn't a real song, but uh, I feel like we we needed it. Uh, Nate, uh, before we get to our guest, uh, please uh, tell people where they can find you. Hola,
2: amigos. You can find me on social media at doglikenate. Uh, excited to be here.
0: A Estoy dog-like, Nate. And Suzanne Cryer, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on the show. Uh, thank or, you. as I should say, coming back to the Silicon Valley after show. Because, as uh, Phil pointed out last week, you were on in the first episode of season two. I know,
3: Basically, right your
0: first episode of the show. And uh, you had so much fun, you're just now coming back. No, but thank you so much. And we... how am
3: I still here? I know, I, you know <laughs> who would have thought Laurie Broom would survive? Yeah. Alive?
0: Uh, now, uh, our usual uh, third co-host, uh, Jeff Graham, on Twitter, at Jeffrey C. Graham, I'd say his plugs for him, uh, could actually not be here. He worked so hard to get you here on the show, <laughs> and then it all worked out for a week that he's actually not here with us. And before we go to him, I don't want to put you on the spot, but how do you think Lori would respond to that? Because to me, it, she would just hear that he was calling in and ask, Why?
3: Well, I think yes, utter indifference. Yeah,
0: com- <laughs> yeah, just completely baffled. But someone who does not have utter indifference, Jeff Graham. Jeff, say hello to Suzanne. We lost connection oh, with him. That's, that's how
3: excited. That's, he is. See, that's that's I why Lori
0: that. would say this yeah. is a liability. Yeah, exactly. It's, this whole thing is it's a, just a, an interruption. Oh, I, allegedly he's yeah. back. Jeff, are you there for real?
4: I am here for real. Oh.
0: Well, say hello to our guest before I hang up on you.
4: I'm so Suzanne, sorry. it's very, very nice to virtually meet you. Uh, your performance was one of my favorites on the show, so I'm honored to uh, join in the conversation
3: today. Well, I really appreciate that, and I'm sorry that my scheduling was so crummy. So I, I, I it was really unintentional. My... <coughs> hey, but, it's no problem. I'm just glad to be here with you guys. You sound like Middle Ditch on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's you a know
4: be- what? I get
0: that all the time. I mean,
3: you That's really so do. You it's, it. it's almost, it's almost confusing. Although
0: we actually call him Jared because he acts a lot more like Jared. But now that I'm just hearing him and not... On the phone. Yeah, just yeah. hearing him on the oh, phone. Yeah. yeah. Either way, he's very smooth and has great people skills, as you can tell. Uh, <laughs> Suzanne, and we'll, we'll get back to Jeff. Uh, Suzanne, as we referenced, you joined the show at the start of season two. You, It was the untimely passing of Christopher Evan Welch. Yeah. You played Peter Gregory. Talk a little bit about how that character, how your character, Lori Bream, was developed. I, I, I assume you auditioned for it Uh, Talk a little bit about the process and, and, you know, how the idea was to have someone that fulfilled a similar role as Peter but was clearly not, you know, just an imitation of him.
3: Right, and she... There are certainly similarities between Lori and Peter. I don't think anyone would deny that. And you know, I'm sure there there are people out there that are haters of Lori that just think I'm doing a bad job of imitating Peter, but um, <laughs> which is too bad. Um, but uh, what what happened is they I think they wanted to to have someone in that position because that position was necessary that VC position to to counter um, Huli. However, um, Chris Welch was just irreplaceable. I think he was doing a career-defining performance. I, I, he's still missed. It's It was a great performance. Everybody's sad. And um, so I think they thought to themselves that they could sort of kill two birds with one stone. And I'm, of course, just speculating here because no one shares anything with me. But um, <laughs> but I think they thought they could address having some a little bit more female power on the show and also um and also um fill that position without competing and having a man come in so I when I received the uh the the sides as we call it in the biz for the show (laughs) I read it and I um had some very specific ideas about Lori and um and what I should look like and how I should approach it not wearing makeup and um Not making eye contact with a camera, speaking very very quickly, I had a lot of text a lot lot pages and pages of text and um and apparently, you know they'd really been looking for a very, very long time, and I think probably getting a girl to go in and not wear makeup and I don't know that they knew that they wanted what I was going to do, mm-hmm. but I think once they saw me do it, they told me a, that yeah. it was kind of the only thing that worked for them in the end so that was that was great and um and it's nice to see that probably the one time in my life when I wasn't worrying about how I looked was the one time I, I booked <laughs> the job. So it, it tells you something, I guess, a little bit, that well, maybe we should fits. all think about that less.
2: It fits the role perfectly, yeah. too. I think you, it's, this This show has so many characters that, you know, especially in the beginning of the seasons, like season one, season two, are so like one dimensional, very much fit all the boxes for right. that person. Whereas, like, it, it requires a lot of commitment. To, to to get it to come across like as genuine, and that's why the character like Laurie is received so well because you it's not like you just all right I'm saying the lines I'm doing these things it's deadpan like it's more than deadpan it's the whole approach
3: and like oh I don't know I think I'm pretty A to A I'm, uh, I'm there's <laughs> zero zero depth <laughs> well,
1: let me just, to, to your point uh, in in the similarities of um, to to Peter Gregory and Laurie there was that episode and I forget when it exactly is if if I'm not mistaken I believe maybe season three but where Lori actually um, assesses kind of all of the various investments that Peter Gregory right. had made. Right. And her take on those things is very much different. So it was, it was I think they chose to do that at, at a right time so you can see okay, there is a difference um, and that you know, perhaps Peter Gregory didn't have the full Right, because genius. we all look
3: at him as the Sesame Seeds guy. Yeah. He's a genius. <laughs> but for every Sesame Seed, there was an invisibility cloak, right? <laughs> so I think um, uh, I think they did want to point out that um, with that kind of mad creative energy, there was also, um, there are a lot of misses, which I think is true of genius. Mm-hmm. We only see, we, we see... The, the success, the, the success the but failures. we don't see all the failures. I really like it that they brought this year Peter figures very prominently, obviously, mm. in, even in absentia, because mm. it was his, he had already he had already conceived of this. He laid the groundwork. He laid the groundwork and had this patent for the new internet. I also really love, I mean, Matt's a tremendous actor and writer and director, as you know, but I really love what they've done with Gavin this year in terms of demonstrating. I mean, he's not just the villain, but there is a genius there, too, and there is a desire to, um, you know, grow and explore, and, and the pairing... Of those two together, even though it doesn't, it doesn't last. Well, but there's a lot of pathos for him this year. I mean, I think he's, I think Matt's done just brilliant work this year. I, really I,
1: th- I think it ties into this episode. I mean, it, it kind of started last episode. It's, it's um, coming into this episode in the sense that Gavin Belson that just his name, as um, as Richard continues to see, like has a lot of weight. And even though despite everything that happened at Hooley um, obviously, he's still top of mind for many people, and I I appreciate that, even though he's gone on to do whatever he's whatever Gavin is well, doing mo- at the moment.
3: I mean, I think it's really interesting what you, when you say that because what we forget is that as viewers, we're looking inside out, but that what you start seeing that is is in the tech world, in the VC world, they're looking outside in. They're not seeing the stuff that we know about Peter about uh, about uh, Gavin. They're seeing they're seeing this outside view, and he is revered, and he's incre- you know he's he's Bill Gates to them. He's, you know, Steve Jobs. We are seeing the the swearing an, the guy with the animal in the boardroom the, you know, the, <laughs> the, the plot side of si- right. we are seeing that other the, side. The dark side. But yes, them. it's really, it's great for them to co- kind of give some dimensionality to that character. Well, I think it's I think.
2: really cool with the pairing of him and Richard too because we're kind of seeing Richard as like he is that, that Gavin Belson, that Peter Gregory as a young guy. Yeah. He is a genius. He has the <laughs> potential and he's like on his way to becoming like Holy, sh- holy shit you know like Richard Hendricks like they you know say his name in those right, same right. regards so it's cool to and see how they interact yeah. now. I mean,
0: one of the things we've talked a lot about the last few weeks the episodes that Gavin was in this idea that somehow you're finding yourself feeling sorry for this guy that yeah. you hated so much the first three seasons and it's just it, it's been really compelling because there's those moments where he's like you know what he's right actually Richard really is being a dick. <laughs> it's like how is it that I'm feeling bad for I don't know and it's just it's yeah. so great and yeah his absence is, is Uh, is still felt. Um, One of the things that uh, you said about your character, Lori Bream, uh, when you were on the show two years ago, was that you hoped we never really learned that much of her backstory. And for the most part, that's true. uh, But we, this season we've gotten some very impersonal little bullet points, like the fact that (laughs) she's having her fourth child. She is pregnant and hadn't told anyone. And she gestured to the pregnancy as this, and also that Monica's her best friend. Talk a little bit about just sort of kerneling out such a little bit of information. I think that's great than if we actually found out a lot about her. Just, you know, if we never hear any more about those things, if we never see the kids, that's sort of fascinating. Yeah,
3: I mean, I think they have, it, it has, it's funny that I said that, I now I remember it, and I'm so glad. I think they have honored that. I think, you know, it's interesting that they get critiqued a lot about it, in terms of, uh, of their female issue because I think they've done a really stunning job of doing some gender Politics examination, and particularly this season. I mean, having a pregnant woman at the, as a VC, and have I mean, she's just tenacious in ignoring it, and that's what I love is that the pregnancy, the family is for her is just it's inconsequential. Yeah. It really is, and um, she's it's background noise, and she's dealing with it. And maybe she's a good mother, maybe she's a not good mother, n- mother, but it's none of your damn business, really. <laughs> I mean, and when it comes down to it, and the whole um, the baby shower ruse. Um, that she's aware of. I love that they they lay these these little these little kernels in, but they don't get an enormous amount of exploration. I think it's I think it's more interesting that way. It's certainly funnier that way, um, and um, and it's easier to learn my lines that way.
0: <laughs> uh, to our invisible co-host Jeff on Skype, uh, what are some of your thoughts for what we've seen from Laurie this season, but also just sort of the the arc we've had of the character since she was introduced.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I actually, what you were just talking about, Suzanne, is so interesting to me. Um, just kind of, I feel like we've always kind of seen Lori as this stoic, emotionless, logical kind of um entrepreneur in terms of her approach to business. But I feel like we've seen those impersonal details you're talking about this week have made me wonder if her personality is something that you feel has evolved as a necessity to survive as a woman in the industry or if that's who she always was. Because I feel like there's something almost kind of badass about how Lori is just a no-nonsense, kind of um, stereotypically masculine presence on the show. Is, do you think that's a necessity? Is that something she's evolved or is that something she's always had to you?
3: Well, I mean, I think it goes back to when I was the the first episode that she was introduced in. And then she says, you know, I'm being scrutinized both from within and without. She's keenly aware for somebody who lacks all social sense in in some ways. Maybe she has tremendous social sense. She's she's bypassing social all the things that women are trapped, all the social the social niceties that women are trapped by and, and probably stymied by. Um, she just skips by them and dispenses with them. But but she's keenly aware that she's being scrutinized. And so I do think that a certain amount of it is biological wiring, clearly. I mean, she certainly doesn't like to be touched or look at, people and there, <laughs> there are things like that. I mean, she's certainly been touched. Obviously, at least four I times. At least four times. There I, are ways. And, uh, there That's are, true. No, and also, you know, how she likes or does not like to be touched in her personal life is quite different than you know what she is comfortable with in a social and work setting. But, um, but, you know, I, I do think that um, she's aware. And she is a survivor. And I do think there has been a growth from her. I think she was worried. I think she was operating in high-functioning panic mode in season one. And um, and um, you couldn't always see that, but it was there was definitely an undercurrent there. And I think she relaxed into it and and um, has sort of has owned her position and was completely fearless about jumping ship. And I do think it's interesting mm-hmm. about her Monica being her best friend. I don't <laughs> think best friend has a lot of resonance for 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 Lori though. She certainly <laughs> is not. I mean, I did go out to drinks for drinks with her one that one time, but it was really purely um, strategic. It was not.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing, though, is you see that Monica, ever since that moment, she seems to have, you know, gotten a lot more comfortable. And now that obviously they're working together, uh, I don't know, it just seems like obviously there's a lot more spring in her step than when she was in the office across from the men's room.
3: Right. I mean, I think Monica really actually does know how to handle Lori in a very... in a very lovely way just like Amanda Crew who's just a really underappreciated in some ways actress because the work she does is is so integral and necessary to the show because she her. is she is the everyman you know Thomas is not Thomas is the lead and he's carrying us on his little back up a hill I mean he's just brilliant but, Above but, average, yeah. <laughs> but Ma- but but Monica, a.k.a. Amanda. She is actually our way in. She is the only real normalcy, and she, you know, she has a remarkable ability to kind of interact with any of the characters in in you know a comedic and yet kind of honest way. And she clearly knows how to deal effectively with everybody. She really
2: is, and, the and Amanda's most, that
3: like, way too. I mean, she really is
2: normal one of them all like you said like she's don't she really is that's why she grounds the scenes that
3: she's in i mean she really really um i think like if you had laurie and peter gregory in a scene together it would be a lot to handle (laughs) that would be a lot of neuroses uh, and but you know you put you know monica in the scene and what amanda brings to it and i think it really um you know, it's, it, it it helps it helps the show tremendously well I, it, I, I it, really love her on to the that show.
0: extent you know having her having Monica ground sort of these large personalities really yeah. factored into the scene it's basically the start of this latest episode where we have Bachman and Lori. and you know obviously if the two of them spoke I can't you're know, without Monica in the room I can't imagine that it would have been a particularly productive conversation <laughs> it probably would have been over you know in about 30 seconds um, give us your thoughts in terms like how much it must pain Lori to one even have had to give Bachman that finder's fee for bringing valuable business to it uh, to them?
3: Yeah, I mean everything is is cost benefit with you know in a cost benefit analysis with Lori, and um, yes, it's tremendously painful. I don't think there's anyone she dislikes more than than Bachman, and yet um, she sold him the company when he was the high. I mean, she really does look at things from a strategic and, and fiscal standpoint, and so yes, it's painful but necessary. I, I, yeah, Diamantopoulos' character she really truly she Ross she hates more than Bachman, I would say. But Diamantopoulos Brings a certain je ne sais quoi of unspeakable, you know, awfulness. <laughs> sorry, I, there may be, even be history there. That, that is it because
1: he's in the Tris Comas Club? Or is yeah. it just
3: <laughs> it's, it's you know, I, um, uh, Mike Judge has referenced a backstory there that has will probably never be seen. But uh, I, you know, she does not, she does not like the tea he's pouring. Um, um, but Bachman is like a, a mosquito that that that. She can tolerate and if she can deal with, and I don't think she's concerned by him. I think she's surprised, genuinely surprised, perplexed that he's able to bag such a big fish and bring and bring him to uh, and bring him to them. But yeah, that scene is heartbreaking, though, isn't it? With Ehrlich, when he he's basically
0: begging them. You know, he's like, "I'll take half of the finder's fee and just yeah." And I have to say, hire me anyway. They're.
3: Also, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the guys that I work with, and 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 Amanda, but I mean, I think it shows just what a good actor TJ is because oh, yeah. TJ's just really his gifts are magnificent. And I mean, when you the broad, broad comedy he does is so it's it's like a hurricane. He's hard, it's not hard to work with, but you just don't know what's coming, and then he's able to really. I mean, it was heartbreaking doing that scene. I, like, wanted to cry. I mean, Laurie doesn't want to cry at everything, but he was heartbreaking in it. And, um, and everything's been trimmed down so much because there we have, I, was t- I was talking to you guys before, but there's so much plot this year that we just can't have anything extra. And they're they're fighting to keep everything in. And there's so much that didn't make it in. It breaks my heart because there's a lot of great stuff and a lot of great TJ that didn't and make it the in. The
0: great thing in that scene, you're right, there's so much heart and emotion oh. to it. But at the same time, he manages to be the Bachman that we all know and love, yeah. where he, of course, <laughs> mansplains <laughs> mansplaining to Monica, no. even when she says she knows what it is. No, I mean, it, he's always a Yeah, I you mean, can't I mean, help we'll him
3: Never, he will never stop being offensive, and yet, and yet, he's sort of dear.
4: What was your reaction? If I could quickly jump in, I just, a, a question that I have that you briefly brought up, Suzanne, is that doing that scene with TJ, you said you as a person was feeling very emotionally connected to that, to that moment with TJ, but I've heard actors say all the time that empathy is one of the things they have to tap into most to deliver an effective performance, <laughs> but Lori is, like, objectively non-empathetic, yeah, so sure. I would have to imagine that'd be a huge challenge on set to like navigate the emotions that you're feeling, maybe as a person on set with your part, your scene partner but knowing you have to mitigate all of those feelings and do the scene in this cold, calculated way. Can you well, talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's true with, um, with being amused by people, too. I mean, Monica uh, slash Amanda, she can enjoy things sometimes because she she is such a, a different... Her functionality emotionally is so different as a, a person and character, but um, I think most of the time I'm really pretty much... Um, I have a lot in common with Laurie, and I'm enough in it that I don't really get distracted by other things but sometimes and you know i choose to look at that Lori probably i think Lori has a moment where she i don't think she's making a good business decision necessarily when she says yes i think there's a i, I, I was th- confused as well in yeah. terms of Lori I, being able to say <laughs> yes i actually think there's a little part of her that sees and and recognizes and i've you know, it shows that she's grown a little bit. That two years ago, she would have just said no. But she knows... I think she recognizes that, that Monica is trying to do what she wants. And she knows that this is an existing relationship. I, I think she... There's I, a little I part I think it's
2: of, a, it, a lot of it is Monica. And, like, what you're saying about the best friend thing is... Where to her, best friend probably means something different. But I think it... In, in her strategic mind, best friend puts her in that partner place. Yeah. That, you know gets them to where she, she obviously sees that Monica has something of value otherwise she wouldn't want to be a partner with her right. and so that softening of Monica at least for me is the only way that they even you know were going to pay him let alone her even thinking about saying yes after the begging and everything and stuff too right. but
0: that, I think that's part of it. Yeah, I, I mean, really I, do. I would say it seems like Laurie doesn't have any emotion towards Bachman, but she senses in the room that Monica's feeling emotional about it. So she's like, "All right, I guess, yes, yeah. so let's do this." And maybe you know, you brought this guy in here, like you said. There's always the benefit analysis. Who knows who else he's going to accidentally sit down at a table he, at the coffee he, he beer. and, and, also, yeah. Yeah.
3: Right. and I mean, also at half cost Yeah, right. <laughs> no, and also half cost. No, and I think he. It's I also I think she's doing a risk analysis really quickly, and she's like, "How bad could it be?" And we can get rid of him. <laughs> Well, the answer is probably pretty pretty, pretty damn bad. But, but um, yeah, I mean, the bigger problem is, is I do have to shut down my ability to find things amusing when I'm working with the, any of the guys. And I don't, I mean, and that goes for Jimmy. Like, I mean, Jimmy's really hard.
2: All those improv guys. Jimmy I can't even is, imagine.
3: And Jimmy's just, I'm, it's been so great having um, Jin Yang have more to do this season. I've loved his story. I mean, I <laughs> laugh on set. And I laugh at home watching him. I love watching it because Jimmy, you know, it's, Jimmy's just, he's bloody funny, man. Well,
0: before we dive into the Jin Yang story, Phil, you had something you were going to say? Well, uh,
1: you know, um, I just wanted to ask you about TJ specifically because obviously the news came out. And yeah. I think, you know, fans, uh, if we didn't ask, they'd be, they'd be wondering why we didn't no, ask you course. what your sort of feelings and opinions are going into the next season?
3: Um, he's a huge asshole, and I'm glad he's leaving. No. Um, no. That's what everyone in the cast said. No, I mean, listen, it's heartbreaking. I think it's really, really heartbreaking. And um, and I think the show is bigger than TJ. I think it'll be a different show without TJ. I, I um, you know, it's, it's surprising that... Um, you know, Mike Judge and Alec and HBO don't loop me in on the decision making process given, <laughs> my, <laughs> but they don't. It's a crime. No, I mean, I think my understanding, from what my understanding is, this is a mutual thing and, and there's no bad guy in this situation. And everybody's sad. I think TJ's sad. I think HBO's sad. I think there's just, there were a lot of things at play, clearly, and I'm certainly not privy to them. And I, you know, I hope we see him again. I, I certainly don't rule it out, but what the hell do I know? Not much. But it's heartbreaking because um, I love working with him. And also, just on a personal note, TJ was really, really kind to me when I entered a show after a season. He was really generous and kind and, and supportive. And, um, and I really love working with him. I don't think I've worked with... I mean, Ryan Reynolds was like that, too, a lot. It was very, very... um, His dynamism on set, and he's just constantly surprising. But, you know, I'm older now. I was a kid when I was working with Ryan, and I'm sort of able to... I'm in a very different place. I'm able to kind of sit back and enjoy the people I work with, um, and just really just be there, and I'm not worried about getting other jobs. I, I kind of don't care about getting any <laughs> other jobs other than the job I'm on and then being with my kids at home. And so I, I really am able to go into work and just appreciate the writers and the directors and the actors. It's nice, it's a nice feeling. Yeah, you're not um, stressed or stuck in No, your head I'm not, and I just can, and, and I really enjoy TJ. He's, he's brilliant and funny and heartbreaking at times, and I hope we see him again. Um, but I do think you know I don't think the show is I think the show is it a, a shows about the tech industry and about VC and um, it'll be a different show without him but I, I I do believe this isn't you know the Mary Tyler Moore show without Mary Tyler Moore um, I, I don't I don't think that's but I do think I do think adjustments will need to be made yeah and i'm sad <laughs> I'm well really
0: sad. you know good for tj that one of the people he'll be working with of course is ryan reynolds on deadpool 2 so i say know they, they all i mean i'm not worried circle. about tj yeah. for god's sake he's the workingest
3: man and yeah. yeah but I mean, uh, he's busy he's really, yeah. really that's what good.
0: i that's what i was going
2: to say last week is i'm from at least what i've heard it's those very mutual and it sounds like yeah. it was very mutual I and think i think it is he's just I in think- a very different place now than where he was when the show started like he right. was big but like after Deadpool and like he's been in like he's in a like two or three the movies emoji this year he's sure. been, yeah he's been doing he's a lot of ge- guest, guest features but he's creating
3: right. projects and gen- I mean he's doing all this kind of stuff now all the guys are I mean you know um, uh, all the guys are really doing they all work a lot they're all busy it's so different now you young people I'm like I'm just like <laughs> just go to auditions and work and leave everybody's generating stuff you know it's 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 it's, it's just different. Everybody it's and a different I, movie. I find it, I do, I find it exhausting even hearing about it. I they talk about their schedules and what they're doing, and in between doing stand up and improv and writing projects, and I'm just like, oh my lord, I can <laughs> barely get dinner made for the children and show up at work with well, my shout f- out, face.
1: Shout out to uh, Thomas um uh, Captain Underpants. Out in I know. Theaters. I actually did. I, I actually did see it because um, on Pop, we have a sister network called Popcorn Talk, and we do a show there where we review movies. And uh, so I got a chance to see it, and I I, I really enjoyed it. I did, did you? It,
3: yeah. Because I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm dying to go because of Thomas and dreading to go because it's bloody Captain Underpants. (laughs) And, you know, my kids...
1: They make light of it. It's fun. It's fun. My
3: kids read it, you know, and I roll my eyes. I'm like, why can't you be reading Watership Down and the the Ring Cycle? And they're like... And I'm like, you're too old for that book now, and they won't stop. Like, even my 12-year-old still will... You'll see him poking through it there's something just that's absolutely a magnet but I was
0: traumatized by Watership Down when I was a kid because was the movie version of it and uh, you know I still can see those bleeding bunnies I know it's
3: it's (laughs) horrible it is horrible I was afraid my 12 year old didn't understand it he read it when he was like he was young he was like going into third grade and I was worried he wasn't getting it. And then I walked out one morning on the couch, and he was weeping. And I was like, oh, he got it. <laughs> he so, got if, it. if you don't weep during Watership Down.
0: Well, uh, let's uh, dive into some more stuff from this episode. Because we mentioned it, even though it's not you know the main story, let's talk about Jin Yang and the new mm-hmm. fridge, mm-hmm. which I thought was very funny oh, that he starts talking about it, and and then he explains to Bachman that he's already ordered it. And it's like, well, then why are you talking to me about it? To make you feel bad. Because you're fat and poor. <laughs> uh, Just uh, the way that he says it, too, yeah.
2: it's like... It's it's not even, like, a, haha, we're friends, we're joking, I'm you. It's, like, so deadpan, like... No, he hates him facts. now. He oh, hates yeah. him
3: now. After he tried to evict him, stuff, I mean, there is there is no love there. Um, and um, I'm not sure that... I mean, it's really... It really has that kind of Gilligan... It has the Gilligan and, and um, Captain, you know... The Skipper. Thing, the Skipper. Yeah. The Skipper and Gilligan thing, except for it's unclear who's Gilligan, who's the Skipper at all times. It's <laughs> constantly changing. Like, who is Gilligan? Um, because you feel for a long time like Jin Yang is Gilligan, and now you feel like...
2: Bach was, the coin
3: has flipped. Ba- yeah, the coin has flipped. But yeah, I love it. I love having him rich. And, um, and, uh, and really... Oh, He's really his delivery is so good. He can say two words, and he just he has me on the floor when he said that line about because like, you're fine. Yeah. Why,
2: why, why did you need? Why did you say all these things? Just because I'm because I, I can. Yeah,
3: and
0: yeah, then the later fridge. when he realizes that the yogurt's expired, so great I can give go it this to this Eric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> and um,
0: so he, I won't die now. I can give, <laughs> give it to Bachman. <laughs> right, exactly.
3: <laughs> and Martin, yeah, and then Martin just becomes, um, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit, Phil.
0: Uh, your thoughts about how Gilfoyle suddenly is obsessed with that refrigerator. How dare I try to tell him to have a nice day? I mean, you would. Th- I would actually venture to say
1: like, um, that he would have been the first one to like it. Especially, like, I thought when, when the Fridge told him, like, you're running out of beer. <laughs> that would have been like, oh, that's right. Yeah, but so, but jin Yen, go get me more North beer. It's the way Old it told him. It's
0: the way it told him. You know, it told him in a very friendly way,
3: you know? I just don't think, I think that he likes tech for the the hard tech he does not like that he doesn't like the trappings of the trappings of our he doesn't shitty like the society. consumer yeah, he doesn't like, like that stuff
2: tech light for the no, you know that's soft yeah, people yeah. which is funny considering we found out that he runs on a mac this episode when the power flashes up and his oh, computer starts right. back up i'm assuming it's <laughs> not he's not running on mac os but i thought that was interesting he's on apple tech being that's Gilfoyle. all that all that,
4: that's the, um, yeah Ahead, I have Jeff. a question related to Guilfoyle, because I thought this was like such an, a quintessential Guilfoyle episode, especially Laurie, or as Suzanne, as you mentioned, um, his reaction to any frills attached to technology. Yeah. Um, have we ever gotten to see Gilfoyle and Laurie interact? And does part of you think they would just hit it off?
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, we ha- they have interacted briefly. Um, when I was in um, Tabalovsky's office... Um, the guys come in, I'm in the chair, and then I leave. Um, so I am with, I've, I've been with, I've been in scenes with them, but only in group scenes, because he doesn't really do stuff on his own, like, like, you know, Bachman's always an ambassador, or I'm dealing with Thomas, straight up, but because he's more backroom, I have never, I've never dealt with him alone. Yeah, I, that would be interesting, because, um... She would have trouble managing him, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody has trouble managing. Him. He's unmanageable, right? You know, it's but
2: she—it would be hard for her to wrap her brain around that—that that she couldn't yeah, manage him. I mean, yeah, they I would think, just go back and forth. I—I
3: I mean, I think he would have a certain grudging respect for her because she's she doesn't get stuck. I in, feel like that's how it the would The bullshit end. of normal, yeah. She would say and something would,
2: so like utterly just straightforward, that he would just be like, well, I can't argue with that.
3: And then I think, I mean, but that, you know, one of the nice things is because Lori could have been gone fast, Mm -hmm. but I think the guys didn't, even when she dropped them and picked them up, they recognized that unlike Gavin or unlike a lot of the other people, she was doing things you know ethically and fiscally. Yeah. It was there's there's a certain amount of trust there. And so I think she never gave up her credibility with them. Yeah. I think they you see you get what you see and you see what you get. Everybody else
2: has been very emotional there's some drama or, just or something.
3: Or duplicitous, involved, you yeah. know, or duplicitous or uh, you know up something or grabby. I think she wants to make money but I think she's she's honest. Yeah. Um very straightforward. You yeah. know, she, she she keeps things close to her vest sometimes, but I, I don't think you know she doesn't lie. So.
2: But I I love him spending twelve hours yeah. with yeah. his own server Anton
3: yeah.
2: To and
0: Dinesh is surprised that he blows off his regular work to do it, but you feel like to Guilfoyle he knows he can get that regular work done in you know half the time that it takes yeah Gilfoyle exactly it takes, uh, that it takes Dinesh. It, it, it takes so, it, so obviously so. you know this is what's important, and it really it, it's so funny at the end. It's just just to basically be the little the little cartoon that pops up on the fridge, and, and then so they,
2: and he adds he makes the sound effects. Yeah, for work in his favor too, which is just
0: great. Uh, One of the other uh, storylines we dealt with was uh, Bachman. Getting the call from uh, Ed Chen and uh, being invited to the floor at Oracle Arena, and uh, realizing, of course, that uh, they wanted him to play in a basketball game, not watch a basketball game.
3: You know, it's funny because they, there's so many gifts of like of TJ taking his shirt off and being like, "Look at my tummy." Um, and it's interesting seeing him become. There was a lot of vulnerability for him in this episode. Seeing him vulnerable, you know, when he needs a job, um, you know, and and seeing him. Um, not wanting to take off his shirt near Ed Jen and like Mm -hmm. he's not willing to kind of be balls to balls with these guys I mean he's really not and it's interesting seeing that other side like he's deflating a little bit you know yeah, um, very, being and, very vulnerable. Yeah, and it, it But was,
1: he tries so desperately. That's what I love about yeah. it. And and, and just he even does. down to the most minuscule thing. Hey, uh, can I borrow your hammer?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, those are those are screws. Yeah. yeah.
3: But no, he's like God bless him. He goes and gets a basket like he's like he can fix that problem in like a week before next next <laughs> week's game. I mean, yeah. Ed Chen's really that um he, he was a terrific actor and I think they enjoyed him so much when he, when they realized that he was great uh-huh. that they that's what these guys will do. They'll they'll keep creating story, um, and put and All put somebody in places when like they're here. like, oh, this guy is you good. know he's easy to work with. He's smart. He's good. He was you know he looked great in the role. I mean he was really perfect in it. Um, and uh, and uh, so it was. And he was nice to have on set. Nice guy.
2: Yeah, I love Bachman's line when. They're on the phone, he, he pulls the phone out to kind of brag about yeah. it, and he's like, oh, well, make sure you get a picture with Steph Curry. And he's yeah, like, oh, yeah. I will if she's there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even, you know, in so, all this vulnerability that we're talking about for Bachman, of course, how he masks that is to insult the scrawny code jockeys and the incredible Shinking Hendricks, Shrinking Hendricks here, yeah. and whatever the fuck Jared is. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is, of course, no, a great line.
3: He's rude. I mean, yeah. the man is rude. He's really rude.
0: Which sort of goes back to one of the other stories that is running through the episode, and the episode starts with with one of my favorite recurring characters, Richard's doctor, who uh, can't believe that he had sex. And, of course, with all the questions, like, with what? You know, and uh, this idea that Richard is shrinking, I thought was very funny throughout. Phil, uh, what were some of the moments that you liked as we dealt with this problem? Uh, I mean,
1: it just, in some sense, the doctor scene was kind of uh, put in out of nowhere, and yet they found this brilliant way to continue it throughout (laughs) Uh, because as he's orchestrating these meetings and everything, just even like, you little prick. No, I'm a big prick. (laughs) 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 And just, again, the same way um, the fridge eats away at uh, Guilfoyle, these are the things that eat away at Richard Hendricks and and you kind of... Sort of compartmentalize it, and you say these people aren't really meant to run a company because they don't know how to stay clear-headed and, and focus on what's actually important here.
3: And you know, and can we just talk about these writers? I mean, they're so they're doing such a different kind of work than I just I feel like they're doing just such a different kind of work than a lot of other uh, comedy writers because. Yes, it's a funny bit. Like they love the doctor; they bring him back, and it's a funny bit. Like you're shrinking, and the all the sex stuff. It's funny, but then like it has all this metaphorical stuff too. Just in terms of like, mm-hmm. first of all, him being eaten away just mm-hmm. by the pro- like by the the Work. you know the life of being in a sitcom. Because I mean, I mean, you know, the, what happens to you when you're the little engine that can't ever? Mm-hmm. And then also. Um, He's has a compression algorithm. I mean, that's his whole life is about making things smaller. I mean, so it, it's funny. I mean, it's just it's so clever. I mean, everything they do is so like the more you think about it, mm-hmm. the more you realize how clever it is. Um, I just I have tremendous tremendous respect for our writers. I mean, they really do. I, I think, think along
4: good. those lines too. What you mentioned, Lori, with the shrinking and the compression. I think in general, like the idea of masculinity Suzanne. was so Jeff. interestingly explored in this episode. <laughs> And, like, Mm -hmm. what you were saying with Bachman being vulnerable. And I love that his in of trying to get a job at Bream Hall was that he could give you guys the perspective that a man needs to have to understand the complex gender dynamics of Silicon Valley. And I thought even, yeah, the shrinking metaphor was such a funny way to kind of explore ideas of what it means to kind of be a man or be masculine in the world of Silicon Valley. It was so interesting to me.
3: Yeah, and just be hacked away, kind of bit by bit <laughs> by bit. Yeah, I mean, it really... Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I don't know. I just... And I hadn't... I didn't remember... I don't remember that was... Whether that was in actually the first draft. I That might have you know they they definitely have big macro ideas that they thread from the beginning of the season. I mean the writers are they're not just like making it up as they go, but um, there is certain stuff that they weave in and then they make room for some improvisation that happens, of course, on set. Not usually we have to be careful about you know plot points and things like that because things are very tech specific on our show. I mean there is no it's it's real like pretty much everything. There's not much that's um, not doable or will be doable soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, so the, the other flip side of, uh, there there's also the tech talk, but then there's also guy talk. And that's what I love, like, um, in, in the case of, like, Rich, Richard also uh, being sort of more masculine, he's learning all these terms. And that's what I love about him is that whenever he's presented with sort of facts and that he can, be sort of, sort of a more of a man's man he tries to utilize oh, them and it just never works <laughs> out in his favor. Disastrous,
3: disastrous <laughs> I mean I really, I mean that's another example of how I thought they were dealing really effectively with like some gender issues um, in this, yeah. when, when he when he gets that little meeting together to try and go after the troll, the, 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 you know the the, the patent, the, troll, the patent yeah. troll, yeah mm-hmm. and then he starts mentioning Limp Biscuit and I mean and having the women in the room just.
2: She's like sorry I was never is, in this, a, a frat. Either, is yeah. this yeah.
3: why, is this why Gavin didn't want to work with you any longer because you're just bloody offensive but like this kind of language that is very pervasive, this this culture of masculinity of kind of like late 20-something to early 30s white, libertarian heavily masculine that's the culture in Silicon Valley and you can't like erase it you can't create a show that like erases it Mm -hmm. but to like be able to explore it nevertheless in a humorous and kind of you know non-critical way
2: and start a conversation start a conversation about
3: it but I thought they do that really effectively by having a man who can't really handle it talk to women who can handle it and are appalled I mean I thought it was great. I thought well, was
0: a... let's talk about the Limp Get at the center of the episode, which I'm going to admit, I did not know that's what that term meant, so thank you Silicon Valley thank for you. making sure that I know now. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the lawsuit, the patent troll, uh, Stuart Burke, who we meet, and uh, you know, he has pictures of all the people that he's sued, and uh, Richard's going to be the next one. Uh, Nate, what do you think about uh, when you hear this, when you see the story unfold? Obviously, we also get a visit from uh, Ben Feldman and other recurring characters, Richard's lawyer uh, Ron Lafon I believe is his name uh, your thoughts on uh, how that story played out from I mean then? I
2: love Ron so it's always good to see more of him but just when we get that immediate introduction and we see the picture with Stevie Wonder and it's like oh you're Stevie Wonder's lawyer he's like no I sued him he couldn't <laughs> he see, see, see it coming. coming like it's like the perfect setup. not only is it funny but also just like who the guy is too like yeah. you not only did you sue a blind guy you see Stevie Wonder like who, everybody loves Stevie Wonder like he doesn't have any enemies how could you do that um but his his reaction with the lawyer, the lawyer is always great. I I feel like it, they present him in this way of where it seems like he's really inept and he doesn't know what he's talking about. But in actuality, usually what he ends up saying to Richard is usually the right thing to do. Richard just never listens. So I thought it was really interesting to see. Yeah, Ron,
3: he Ronald does give he gives good advice. Yeah, and yeah.
2: he tells him straight up just just pay the just twenty pay grand, yeah. just do it. But of course, and I think what's really cool seeing this plotline also with the with the Richard thing in general is like. What you see in the beginning of the episode is his pride also being hurt, too. And so for the rest of the episode, he's trying to, like, prove how big a man he is. And that's part of the only reason why, in my opinion, that it even goes this far... I think and other he's type
3: uh, A too I mean Richard's really He has to control things Right And um So he You know We've seen him fight These battles before These disastrous battles But he can't help himself par- Partly because of Moral rectitude Like he really is An upstanding guy And he can't stand To see people Getting away with Shortcuts Right You know In he's the tabs a, versus spaces He's not spaces, a gray area guy Right No It's the tabs versus spaces Like he can't stand To see people cheating Taking shortcuts Um and so he's gonna go after, the, and you know, God bless. Like, it's great to have these white knights. He's just such an ineffective white knight sometimes. But then, you know, he gets there in the end.
0: Yeah, but what we see is, of course, his very awkward people skills we yeah. alluded to with trying to get people together, and instead they just sort of strike out on their own. And yeah, he ruined. It sc- he, yeah. he
3: could have done that. That, yeah. that was doable by someone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably by by, by, te- you know, by Bachman, probably could have yeah.
1: done it. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, an email could have solved better. it. I yeah. like that idea. Just an email, email could have solved, solved this. It.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it probably could have.
0: It can't. Uh totally. Before we run out of time, I think it's very important we talk about Ed Chambers, who we were introduced oh, man. to. Oh, is, yeah. Uh, Uh, jared's alter ego uh let's talk to our own jared on skype What were your thoughts about ed chambers uh i must go to jared jeff we can call him donald too donald
4: (laughs) yeah or donald right i mean like this was predictably brilliant i mean like we've been talking about just this has been a great season for character and i think virtually every character on this show has been widened for me like i feel like we've seen different shades of lori for example suzanne but like this has just been a knockout season for Jared, and mm-hmm. just so freaking weird. And, like, getting to see Zach Woods play, like, douche bro, like, speaking of masculine, was one of the funniest things I think we've seen all season. No, this he's... was just, from a writing, acting, and idea standpoint, just blew my socks off.
3: And then realizing that Jared's scared of his own... <laughs> he's scared of the man. Yeah, oh my God. He's clearly, was like, like a bit he's not of a just Dr. offended, <laughs> he's scared of like, him. Like, it was
4: so <laughs> funny.
3: Michael.
2: I mean, he eats his lunch
4: <laughs> well, every
2: day. <laughs> every day he eats
0: Jared's lunch. He eats
4: lunch.
1: his lunch. Well, I was going to say that was part of my uh, favorite jokes <laughs> because it's so it is literal because well, he, so he does he's he he
3: he the same <laughs> person Yeah, but, but the way
0: the, the conviction that he I just, just when he pulls Richard in. aside to say I had to let him go like you could see it pained him to have and to <laughs> Richard's let just
3: like what? <laughs> what? out
0: of sight out of mind they well, keep
3: going he's you out of yeah. reality <laughs> yeah that's I, I that was really it's really fun to see him do, I mean Zach can do literally Zach can do anything Zach, I really is, hope we like, get more. Zach engineers. is magic, and in all these little, you know, all these little things, these little insights, like his response to the get stuff. Sometimes <laughs> it's a weird thing. Yeah,
0: which was amazing. You know? right? I was all these little
3: that. horrible, <laughs> horrible windows into the life, the tortured life of Jared. Yeah,
0: like when the Blood Boy knew him, and he was yeah. just like somebody from the group home. And yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's Jared. much like Laurie It's like we just move past these it's terrible that, things yeah. about Jared that uh, we never need to know. Before we run out of time uh, we're going to do our regular predictions but since you obviously know what happens this season Suzanne, I thought I'd ask you what would you like to see happen for your character? Not necessarily in the course of the show. Like, let's just look five years ahead so that you're not predicting things that might happen in the show.
3: Yeah, well I mean I hope I'm I'm not pregnant anymore. At some (laughs) point I would like to stop being pregnant. We shall see. Um, (laughs) um, You know that's interesting. I I would like, you know, I there's a part I love VC stuff. I'm really interested in VC stuff. I think America likes VC stuff too, so I wouldn't mind seeing um, some of the other. I wouldn't mind seeing some other VC stuff things that are going on for Monica and um, Lori. I mean, I loved it when Jin Yang came and pitched to us um, the smokation one, and you know, so I I like that. But I don't, you know, I. I, I'm happy with anything they give me but I, I am interested in v stuff, <laughs> VC stuff so I wouldn't mind seeing some of her other those well, pitch meetings are crazy
0: with that being said it is indeed time for our predictions And now, your TV predictions. Phil we'll let you go first Matt into the desk uh, you know
1: I'm wondering uh, now that we've solved the patent troll uh, I'm, I'm wondering kind of how it all ties in um, we're getting close to the end of the season and you know, I, I I sort of you know the way they sort of always do it is they they go towards something and leave us with a cliffhanger for the next season. So I'm wondering what that is. And I you know uh, for so long we've seen we've seen Pied Piper succeed and yet not. And so I want to know what the next round of success but not success is. Um, and, and I'm very curious. I you know and we haven't really had an episode where they join together um, and really start to attack things. You know, like in the past, whether it was you know um, TechCrunch, Disrupt, and all those things. So I, I'd like to see an episode where the uh, meeting of the minds, if you will.
2: Nate, uh, I'm gonna piggyback on what Phil said, and I think I think what we're gonna get is some type of big success for the company, and then Mia's gonna come out of nowhere and like just <laughs> screw everything up. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's also gonna be more impact on. Gilfoyle's use of Anton in this episode for the server, I think because of how much they talked about the networking stuff, I think somehow it's going to like have created their back door maybe it's the fridge or something (laughs) that gets hacked by (laughs) mia or something
0: well similarly because they keep mentioning mia throughout all these episodes even since she's been gone my prediction is that she will come back and by the end of the season uh dinesh will marry her just because he's so scared of her (laughs) (laughs) there's no way out for him i'm sorry were you gonna finish it Did you have thought i was just
2: gonna say i i'm like i said earlier. i really hope I don't, I don't think we've seen the last of Ed Chambers. I feel like with, with that goodbye, I feel like yeah, he's...
0: he's going to... You know, I think Jared's going to have to put the Ed Chambers hat on again in an important moment. I... Uh, Jeff Graham, your predictions. Well, this is a perfect transition
4: because the Ed Chambers thing, we've kind of been discussing all season that, like, Jared seems like he's quietly heading towards just a complete meltdown. <laughs> I don't know whether or not that's true, but this episode did introduce, like, legitimate split personalities, so... I just kind of wonder if we're going to see some kind of just like bananas freak out from Jared. That's like my prediction. I don't know, but it seems like his psych- like his sanity has just been slowly disintegrating all season. Yeah,
0: including last week when they moved the Gavin Belson picture into his room and yeah. he was very uncomfortable with it. I think I you're absolutely that. right. We're going to get to see, uh, well, who knows what we're going to get to see, but uh, it'll be fun to watch. Well, with that being said, uh, we are out of time. Thank you so much to Suzanne Cryer. You're on Twitter
3: at I am Suzanne Cryer, I believe. I am. I'm glad you reminded me because sometimes I'm not effective. Yes, that is. That's how Suzanne people Cryer. can
0: keep tabs on you. I don't know if you're on any other social media, but if they go to Twitter, that's where they'll find they you. They will. Uh, Phil, what would you uh, like to promote here? Uh,
1: just go to com and obviously keep watching uh, not only Silicon Valley, but our show as well.
2: Nate. Uh, again, you can find me on social media at Dog Like Nate. I also host the Better Call Saul After Show tonight and also the finale of uh, Dear White People this week.
0: And I'm Christian Blatt at Christian DMZ. You can see me tomorrow night on After Buzz with the Trump Report. And, uh, well, that'll be fun. Let's just put it that way. Uh, for everybody here, thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye.